You're listening to episode 31 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Today's guest has quite the story when it comes to his journey of growth. Stefanos Sifandos joins me for a conversation discussing healthy masculinity, conscious relationships, and more. Before I introduce you to Steph, it's time for the review of the week. This week's review comes from JLA990, and it reads, I recently became hooked on this podcast not only because of the content, but I love how it's not overly edited, if edited at all. Thanks for keeping it real. Oh, JLA990, I'm keeping it real, all right. Unless there's something really major that needs edited, then I don't actually edit the conversations at all. What you're hearing is for the most part, a real, raw, 100% genuine conversation. I could certainly edit the podcast to not have a um, er, uh, or, or similar, or, you know, just not have any audio flaws at all, but that's not really how I roll. I choose purpose over perfect all day, every day. You know what I'm saying? Don't forget to submit your review on iTunes for a chance to be the review of the week. But really, guys, what I would love more than a review is for you to hit subscribe and then share this podcast with a friend or two. Even if you share this episode on social media, you are helping this podcast grow in leaps and bounds. All right. Are you ready to meet Stefanos? You know what to do. Tune in. Turn it up. Let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. This week, I'm joined by Stefanos Sefandos. Steph primarily considers himself a relationship alchemist. He guides individuals in connecting wholly and authentically in relationships. Steph is also an international speaker and author. Stefanos, welcome to the show. It is so wonderful to have you join me today. Thank you for having me here. Well, I love your mission because when I read that it said it is to be the voice of the voiceless, I was like, whoa, that is a powerful and beautiful mission. So will you tell us a little bit of how you got started on this journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So when I say that, when I say voice for the voiceless, what I'm inferring to is essentially the pain that I experienced as a child, feeling isolated, feeling that I didn't have a voice, Mm -hmm. feeling that I wasn't heard and wasn't really seen, and taking that into a more aware framework of being in the world as an adult. And so our voids generally become our values. And, and it's either they become our values unknowingly or they become our values knowingly. Right. And so for me, I had to go through a, quite a turbulent process and journey to get where I am today. And where I am today, if I were to define that in a virtual way or, or through characteristics, it's clarity, it's discernment, it's uh, integrity in my being, it's uh, an inner wisdom and knowledge. It's a trusting that I have of myself and how I behave and move in the world. I never really had that. I was more confused. I was more disorientated, disconnected from my own body, from my own mind. I was agitated and frustrated and, and angry at the world and angry at myself. I would blame and, and, and project upon others as opposed to taking responsibility for what I was feeling, what I 
was experiencing and how I was being in the world. Mm. And so, in short, it, it's I, I grew up in a you know, physically violent, emotionally abrupt and violent uh, upbringing, family dynamic, and that really shaped uh, how I behaved as a, as a child, as a, as a young adult, as a teenager, as a young adult. I, I moved from being really passive and meek and weak and hiding the world to being hyper-aggressive and, and overtly loud and, and fighting all the time and just just being uh, being uncontrollable really in my own self. Mm. And so for me, your violence was the answer because that's what I experienced as a child and I mimicked that and, and I mimicked that in an unchecked way and give myself the space to reflect and say, is this really what I want to be? I, I'm, I'm angry all the time or at least most of the time, I'm frustrated, I'm agitated, I'm short-tempered, I'm impatient as an adult. And is this really what I want? I never took the time to look at that. And so, and, and, and I was dishonest with myself and dishonest in my relationships. I was deeply unfaithful in my relationships, in my intimate romantic relationships. I wasn't telling the truth. I was wearing masks and I was pretending to be someone that I just wasn't. And that showed up in every area of my life, uh, especially mm. business and my intimate romantic relationships. It was, they were volatile. They were just mimicking what I knew was familiar uh, in, a, in a different expression, right, in, different, in a different setting. Right. Um, and so for me, until all of that unraveled itself and, and one of my partners a, a number of years ago found out that I was quite unfaithful, it, it, it hit me like a frying pan in the face where... Yeah. I looked at my behaviours and my inner state and how I was treating other people and how I was treating myself and I just thought to myself, I can't believe I've caused someone, someone so much pain that has only really ever respected me and cared for me and has told me their truth from the beginning and I couldn't do that with them. And that was a, that was a massive wake-up call, yeah. massive, massive wake-up call. So was that like the tipping point for you? Yeah. That yeah. was the catalyst for deep transformation mm-hmm. for me, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, very much so. Wow. So where did your transformation kind of go from there? What did you do to kind of build back up and build the person that you want to be? Uh, I, made a, I made a commitment to honour what was arising. In other words, acknowledge what I was feeling and experiencing and not ignore it and avoid it and suppress it like I was in the past, through mm-hmm. whether it be through alcohol or, or, or sex or womanising or, um, or extreme fitness and extreme sports. Uh, I, I, not that I stopped training or exercising or moving my body. That was an integral right. part of actually my healing and rehabilitation, mental and emotional and spiritual rehabilitation. But I did it from, with a very different intention and, and a perspective that was not what it used to be, not in avoidance and isolation, but rather uh, health and, and connection to self, connection to body, connection to mind, and use it as, a, as a, an opportunity to, to heal and to gain, gain greater context into self. And so what it looked like for me was a complete commitment, a complete commitment to transformation and a complete commitment to believe in another way of being in the world, thinking and feeling. And that, that, uh, that obviously, not obviously, but that involved me going back into my past, neutralising and equilibrating those experiences, going through processes of forgiveness and feeling and really, really allowing myself to feel all of that pain and all of the fears and, and deal with them in, in a way that confronted them and that faced them as opposed to me just ignoring them. Yeah. And so tangibly that looked like I stopped working. I, I went into myself and it was anywhere from 8 to 15 hours a day of personal growth and personal development, meditation, reading, counselling, therapy, spiritual healing, guidance, mentorship, 
various forms of uh, therapy and mind, mind therapy as well, for lack of a better term, and, and just really started nurturing myself and, and learn how to forgive and, and, and learn how to be a grander version of myself. I was asking questions around my own masculinity, my own manhood, my own personhood, my own place in the world and, and really addressing those issues as opposed to ignoring them and just pretending everything was okay and consuming myself with, uh, you know, burn-build businesses or, uh, or avoidance through, again, sex or, or, or women or, or excessive masturbation or whatever, whatever it was, fitness, extreme fitness to bring in a place of avoiding what really needed to be addressed that was right. driving insecurity and imbalance in my life. Mm. And I guess in that journey of forgiveness, you weren't just forgiving people in your past, you were also forgiving yourself. Massively, massively. Yeah. But you have to feel, I had to feel that. I had to feel the shame and the guilt around that. I had to feel the, 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 the roller coaster of emotions that were associated with that process, which mm-hmm. so many of us, I mean, I, did. I avoided it for so long. I work with people on a day-to-day basis and I have for many years and I, and I see it as well. We just, we're very good at avoiding the ego does not like to, yeah. uh, does not like to take responsibility because it's very confronting and painful. It's easier to project and blame others as opposed to taking the ownership and responsibility of self. Right. No one wants to hurt their heart. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, not at all. On your Instagram, you describe yourself as an advocate for real masculinity, and your content touches on healthy masculinity a lot. So how do you define that? Oh, that's a massive, massive question, and and I'll be honest with you on two fronts. Firstly, it's something that's constantly evolving for me, mm. um, and secondly, it's something that is in is it's in constant deep conversation. And so let yeah. me let me elaborate a little bit. There's, for me, masculinity is defined primarily in two ways, or 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 rather framed in two ways. It's being a good man and being good at being a man. And they're two different different things. And so we we have to look at it from two different perspectives. So being a good man, which is what most of us think about when we're talking about masculinity in men, is we're really talking about virtues and characters, characteristics. Mm. And I'll give you an example. So I and I'll give you an extreme example to 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 help us understand what this means. And it's really culturally uh, contextualized and culturally defined. And so a um a uh, a uni bomber, for example, someone that is a suicide bomber, in in his culture, he would be revered and respected in his in group, in his in his subculture, he would be respected and revered for being a hero and being courageous and having the strength to listen to what God is their God is telling them to do and to go ahead and do that and make the sacrifice. And so, from that perspective, he's revered. And right. from an outside perspective we think that's cowardice. We would look at that and say that's weakness. That's not what a man would do to kill those innocent people and kill himself. And so so it becomes a culturally relative uh, context in what it means to be a good man. And that's complex, right? That is really common because there's there's definitions within cultures and then subcultures and subcultures and subcultures of the subcultures and it becomes challenging. So when you ask me how how do I define a man, I want to say that from being a good man, I'm coming from my own perspectives Mm. and it is quite subjective and it is based on what I believe and it is based on also 
the re- the academic research that I've done and so forth. And there's there's more to it than just that, right? There's we're talking about self-confidence, we're talking about self-esteem, we're talking about self-concept, the concept that we have of ourselves. Um, we're talking about so much. And, and so for me, I'll, I'll talk about two virtues that I believe lay a foundation for what it means to be a good man in today's world. And so two of those virtues are inclusivity and sustainability. And so I feel in today's society uh, men are too exclusive. We're too isolating and we're too subjugating. We're too oppressive in the way we behave as a collective, the masculine collective. Mm. Now, I'm not saying we can be completely inclusive because that carries its own set of issues and problems with it as well. And, and I can talk about that a little bit later. And, again, it really is quite a complex conversation that we're having in this in this realm, but it's a beautiful one, right? We yeah. have to have it. We have to, yeah. We have to. We have to go there because it's difficult. Yes. It doesn't mean we don't go there, right? Exactly. And so what I'm advocating for is not complete inclusivity. I'm advocating for more inclusivity as a starting point. And what does that actually tangibly look like? And it means that we stop separating ourselves and stop separating others in a harsh way. So it's this in-group, out-group mentality. And we can in-group and out-group mentality is actually necessary for us in terms of helping us identify, um, helping us form a self-identity and a concept of self. Okay, mm-hmm. it's actually imperative that men have that. Yeah. What I'm saying is that the way we do it in today's world, it's too segregating, it's too isolating, and it causes too much friction and too much division to the point where we foc- we're focusing on survival and not thriving. Hmm. And so we have to be more inclusive in our decision-making how we think about ourselves and others. So, yes, we're different from women, and there's also many similarities. Yes, we're different from other cultures and there's also many similarities. And so it's bringing a greater light to that focus and, and seeing where we can actually work together more so than work separately and create this division and separation because unity consciousness is, oh, I don't want to, oh, it is utopian and is it possible? Potentially. We have to move through uh, various layers of, of social uh, uh, social psychology within the individual and within the group. We have to pass through certain uh, belief systems and move beyond them in order to even get to there. And so that's a, that's a, the unity consciousness piece is a far way away. So we have to start living before that. And so can, we can say, well, can we be more inclusive in some areas and start there? And so the next component to that is sustainability. Hmm. And sustainability says the decisions that I'm making today, are they thinking about the generations ahead? Mm, that's a we look at, yeah, it's a massive one. And so yeah. when we look at our ancestors and our, and our tribesmen and, and wisdom of the past, we look at, we could take ancient, uh, American Indian, Native American uh, wisdom as an example, just as an example. There was an even Aboriginal, Indigenous Aboriginal, Australian Aboriginal wisdom. There was a deep consideration around earth. So there was more inclusive, there was more stakeholders that were involved. There was an inclusivity around other tribes, people, that when they came to this land, we leave this land as Aboriginal people and we move on and we walk elsewhere, that we leave this land ready and ripe for them. And so what they would, what the Aboriginal people would do, they would burn the land. Because when you burn the, when you burn the land, it regrows and it flourishes rapidly. Right. So the next tribe that comes has access to resources. So there's this consideration of other people and also generations ahead, generations. 
ahead. And that's really powerful. So we don't really do that enough now, and it's evident in our politics. Our politics are two- and four-year tenures, generally speaking, in a Western democratic sense. So what what can really be accomplished in four years when humans live for 100 uh, or 80? When when the ecosystems in our our natural ecology operates in thousands of year blocks? Now, I'm not saying we can have – I'm not saying or suggesting we have politics for 50-year tenures or 100-year tenures. I'm suggesting that we begin to think differently systemically of how we operate. When we operate in a masculine paradigm, politics are generally a masculine paradigm. Right. And so inclusivity and sustainability, more of that is imperative in our world if we wish to become healthier masculine men, more, again, more balanced, more considerate, uh, more open, faster evolution. Again, this is my opinion. So I, I'm clear that some people would disagree with that. And that's fine. It's good because it, we can then form a, a new way of being in the world as well. Exactly. Refined. Opens up the conversation. About it. Yes. Yes. You, you were touching on the different beliefs within, and I recently was given an exercise from one of my mentors to write down all of my beliefs about men. So the positive mm. ones, the negative ones, and a big one that came up for me was abandonment and mm. how that was tied. I was tying that to my worth. So mm. I had to you know, face these things head on. So even as females, if you're mm. listening, we are creating our own beliefs about men based Absolutely. on most of the time our own experience about something. So, yes. you know, I had to go back and confront each one of these, you know, parts because I had to define what would happen, um, you know, take that negative belief and then attach a feeling to it and then turn that into a positive belief back onto myself and then turn yeah. that negative belief into a positive belief about the man. And when you start, changing how your mind works on that. It's a game changer of how you mm-hmm. see people. So seeing that the opposite sex of like how they work, it's not really a gender thing. It's sometimes more of that internal thing of your belief system and how you are perceiving a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, so, yeah. I was thinking the beliefs like brought that one up for me, but I think a good thing to lead into now is, Conscious relationships, um, what does it mean to be in one? It's mm, a great question. I love that question. I love that question because it stimulates something really exciting within me because I'm so deeply inspired by it. So what does it mean to be in a conscious relationship? And I've got a number of different ways to explain this. And let me, let me just let me start with one. And so a conscious relationship, when two people or multiple people are in a conscious relationship, you know, depending if, if it's a romantic, intimate, monogamous or non-monogamous relationship or whether it's a group of intimate friends or a group of colleagues in the world, serving the world and, and creating an amazing business in the world, you can still have a conscious relationship. But let's, for, for simplicity, simplicity, simplicity's sake, <laughs> let's, let's use a normative heterosexual relationship, man and woman, uh, intimate romantic partnership, okay? Right. And so... Two people are in that relationship and there's no doubt that there's going to be challenges, there's going to be pain, there's going to be fear that arises, you're going to push each other to the edge, push each other's psycho-emotional, spiritual boundaries and that happens. And and, and, and in a normal quote-unquote relationship or an unconscious relationship because if we're saying there's a conscious relationship, therefore there must be an unconscious relationship and in a relationship that's just not fully aware of itself or the the people that are in it are 
aren't really willing to grow. So willingness is a massive part of a conscious relationship. You're willing to face your fears. You're willing to face your pains. You're willing to celebrate your joys. You're willing to go where into the unknown. You're willing to traverse the mystery of life. You're willing to support your partner. You're willing to be there. You're just, you're just willing for the sake of a relationship. And because the relationship is something that you value and you carry clarity in the relationship. And you can only be willing when you carry clarity within yourself and you have a level of self-gnosis or self-wisdom or self-awareness. And so the conscious relationship says, you know what, the sky is always there. The blue sky is actually always there. Sometimes the clouds will come, they'll be white, they'll be grey, they'll rain, it will rain for days, there'll be thunderstorms and lightning. But I know that that blue sky is always there. And that's the premise of a conscious relationship. Now, to go into more detail, to go into a little, into more, um, that, that, that sets the ethos of the relationship. So, that, therefore, that allows a willingness to, to be with the pain and the fear that arises in, in, in a relationship, to be with the difficulty and the arguments. And, and it also defines how we argue. Because we're not coming from fear thinking, oh, my God, is this going to be, is this going to be how we are always going yeah. to do, always going <laughs> yeah. to argue? Because that's what we do. Yeah. We think, oh, wow, we're in pain, we're in fear, we're in sadness, we're angry, we're always going to be like this. This is fucked, I'm out of here. Right. And so we come from fear. And it's usually either primal fear or if it's not primal fear, it's, it's old childhood wounding that we haven't addressed. Or it's just fear that we haven't addressed that we've been hurt and we haven't really moved through it. Exactly. And so the conscious relationship is, is able to be more calm in the face of that, that difficulty. Now, essentially, the, the foundations of that are two people come into the relationship and they say, am I growing from how I'm behaving? Am I growing mm. from how they are behaving? Are they growing from how I'm behaving? Are they growing from they, how they are behaving in relation to me and us? And is our, this is really powerful, is a third entity, a.k.a. the relationship, is that serving humanity and the community? Is that serving someone or something, a cause or a belief system or a movement or people outside of ourselves? So, in other words, our coming together is fucking adding value to those around us and to the world at large. And that, for me, in part, lays a massive foundation for sacred union or conscious relationships. Mm. Because it's power on all level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, deeply. Unity yeah. and power. Yeah. Yeah. So what does a sacred union mean then? Very similar to conscious relationships. Okay. I, I use the terms inter, interchangeably. Inter, inter, yeah, and I just like the term sacred union. I, yeah, I, love I like the, too. Yeah, the fact that we really value, I mean, I think sacredness just carries such a, a beautiful, it's such a strong word. Sacred is sacredness yeah. such an empowering word, so powerful. I'm like, oh, wow, I, like, I really like that word. And what it means to me symbolically is that, something is revered and respected and it's honored deeply when we're talking about something that's sacred and the union is the merging is the merging of two whole again normative heterosexual structure the merging of two whole beings coming together willing to expand themselves through themselves in relation to each other and through each other as well and i love that i love the power that carries yeah and i'm i'm sure because you have already said that you were in relationships where it wasn't so sacred that you were sharing yourself with others. How does it feel now to be in a relationship where it is so sacred? How did like, yeah, you just feel like you're a different person. I feel, I feel that I'm at home. Oh, that's such a good way of putting it. I feel home. I feel like, and that's exactly how I felt when I first met my, my beloved. I feel like I'm at home. Yeah. Yeah. How do you guys do like a checks and balances with each other when you're saying, 
when we were talking about the power of, you know, of being in a conscious relationship, mm-hmm. is there checks and balances that you guys do within, e- within each other and your relationship to continuously grow and push each other? Most definitely, most definitely. And so it generally, not always, but it, it will generally come through if we're experiencing friction, how we choose to be with that friction. And, mm. and, and essentially the first question we ask is, what would love do now? Oh. Really, what would love do now? We sit with that. Yeah. Would love be aggressive? Would love come from wounding? Would love from, and yes, love is everything. I get that. But would the essence of love really choose to come from pain and fear? It, it can acknowledge that. It can be with that. But how does it express that? How does it relate to that within, within the partner? So it, it requires radical honesty and yeah. radical self-compassion and compassion for the other and radical patience. Mm-hmm. But the self-honesty piece is everything. So we ask ourselves in the, in the moment of, of difficulty and challenge, uh, we ask ourselves is this who we really want to be right now? And in those times when we're not and we're just we're being more proactive, it come, it, it, it come, because we're in the space of, of growth and development and we're, I'm constantly researching, I'm reading, I have my own internal embodied practices as well, my, my visceral practices, spiritual practices that I have, so, so Christine does as well. And information downloads, for lack of a better term, will come through insights, will come from that. And so I will say, hey, darling, I had this insight this morning and I, I think we should try this. And if we tried this in this way and we communicated in this way, we tried this practice together, I feel it could take us somewhere pretty special. Are you willing to do that? And, and she's either a yes or a no, and it's usually a no. And we, then we go down that path. <laughs> so we're, we're exploring, we're iterating, yeah. we're innovating. We're innovating our own relationship to then obviously serve and give that to others as well. That's really awesome. I love that. One thing that I learned from Brene Brown was, in the relationship piece is to use the phrase, the story I'm telling my, or the story I'm telling myself. And because we sometimes have that, we're creating those stories in our mind of, oh no, he's mad at me because mm. X, Y, and Z, but really he's upset because of ABC, you know, and mm. we create this conversation in our mind and mm. um, of what's going on. So I love that when she uses, you know, the, the conversational piece. It's really good that you guys have one too of coming from love because that's really mm. beautiful. That's a really beautiful mm. way to kind of step back and, and look at where your actions are coming from. Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That is amazing. You're very welcome. <laughs> well, I know many of our listeners will want to learn more about you and follow you on social media. Can you tell them where they can follow you? Yeah, of course. So uh, Facebook or Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, I'm trying to Pinterest, it's all, <laughs> it's all the same. Uh, Twitter, Stephanos Safandos. Perfect. Perfect. Well, wow, Steph, um, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Your passion and energy are both truly contagious and you have been a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love Stefano's insight on relationships. And if you'd like to connect with him further... I've linked his website and social channels on this week's episode notes found at mindbizlife.com. If you know someone who might like this episode, be sure to share it with them. With your help, this little old podcast is now being listened to in 33 countries. I think we can make it to 40. What do you say? I'll see you back here next week. And until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.